You know, if you think about life being six minutes, not everybody's given that six minutes. Some get one minute, some get two minutes. Some of us are lucky and get all six minutes. But if we take that and we say that's life, that's six minutes, you can either mark the time or you can make your mark. Hey there, friend. This is Stephanie Krevins, and you are listening to the Mid-Level Leaders Hot Mess Hotline, where we bring in top-level senior C-suite executives to share their war stories. Those hot messes that were emotional, political, unexpected WTF moments so that you and your colleagues who are ambitious learners who want to do really impactful things with your careers can learn from them too. So I'm so humbled by all of the conversations that we have on here and what people are willing to share with us. Today, we have a little um, break from your regular programming here, and we are bringing back Chris Clues. He is a speaker and an author on the book series, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. And he has his third book where he takes an even deeper dive into some of these pop culture moments from our childhoods. And he's going to bring those to life in new ways for mostly life stories, but of course, always the workplace. And that new book is coming out in September. So I wanted to have him back for another conversation to tee up some of those stories, but also because we just love to jam out on the 80s. Listen into this episode where I accidentally make up two new words uh, because apparently that's my thing now. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we're going to dig into some really great relevant stories from those movies that come on on Saturday afternoon when you're trying to catch a quick cat nap in between those uh, sports games that you're hauling all your kids to. Those movies, as well as dig into how and why to reinvent yourself as a Gen Xer and why it's even more important to pay attention to those little feelings, those little callings that are coming to you from your intuition or the Holy Spirit or the universe, whatever language you want to use that says, maybe you're made for something different. And maybe now is the time to try something different. And I don't know how it applies to you, life, career, whatever that is, but The invitation today is to make sure that you pay attention to that small, still voice that you hear, maybe while you're watching some of these movies that we're going to bring up and talk about in this conversation. All right, my friends, let's dig into this second round of conversation with Chris Clues and all the nostalgic goodness that the 80s brought us. Here we go. All right, Chris. You've got a new book coming out. So excited. More stories, more lessons from the movies that I call now play on the Saturday afternoon, right? Like those ones you're laying on the couch and you're like, yes, that one's on again. And I'm probably going to take a nap on the bottom half of it because I've already seen it 47 times. Um, (laughs) But tell us, tell us some of the new lessons that you're bringing to life for us. What's your first favorite one? Yeah. So actually, um, I would tell you, first of all, thanks again for having me and for giving me the megaphone and the platform. As we were talking about before we came on, I really enjoy talking to you. So this is always really fun for me. And uh, I would tell you the first one. So there's going to be 10, actually nine movies and one musician that we're going to learn from. And we talked about that musician the first episode, I think. Yes, we did. uh, (laughs) Yes, very, very. The the man that has his own symbol, right? (laughs) That's right. Hey, he was known by one name and then known by a symbol. You know that you have made your mark. 
That's uh, right. That is the case, right? And we'll <laughs> yes. talk about making your mark a little bit, but a little bit later. So yeah, this first one actually is one that you probably have put on in the background on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, most people probably have, um, if you're an 80s kid. And that one is Roadhouse. Oh, Roadhouse. <laughs> My husband loves that movie. He can yeah. watch it over and over again. And me, I'm just like, oh, hey, Patrick Swayze. How you doing? You still yeah, look see? better in Dirty Dancing, but I'll watch you here. <laughs> yeah, you get to see him do his little, uh, whatever it was, his Taekwondo thing by the water without his shirt on. It's, you know, that's a that's a big uh, that's a big moment for a lot of people who enjoy Patrick Swayze, right? <laughs> and uh, and I love Patrick Swayze for different reasons. I really just enjoy all of his characters. He just brought so much um, entertainment to us in yeah. such a short time, and really left an amazing legacy of yes, great characters. And one of them is Dalton from Roadhouse. Uh, now, Roadhouse, the, one of the reasons I love Roadhouse is because we talk about the iconic 80s movies and we talk about movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and Coming to America and Ferris Bueller and The Breakfast Club. These, these really, really iconic uh, 80s movies. Yes. And I feel like if you were to put a time capsule together of 80s movies, Roadhouse would absolutely be in it. Yes. And it's not because it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it's because it had the perfect balance of awesomeness and cheesiness, which is what made a great 80s movie, in my opinion. Right? <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yeah. It really I did. Scale. I mean, it's yes. just like, it's awesome and it's cheesy and it's great. And it, and it just works. And there are some really awesome lines from the movie. Now, for those of you that haven't seen Roadhouse, um, how dare you? You should go see it because... <laughs> Anything with Patrick Swayze is amazing. But I will tell you that, you know, the, the premise of the movie really quickly, uh, there's a, a bar called the Double Deuce. There's a guy who's bought the Double Deuce in Jasper, Missouri. It's a mess. They talk about being blood on the floor every night, lots of fights, lots of problems. He wants to clean it up. He hires Dalton, played by Patrick Swayze, who is a cooler. We call him a cooler, which is the head bouncer. He's the guy that can cool things down, get people out of there without a problem. And if there is a problem, usually the guy that can handle it. And so Dalton's brought in to clean up. The double deuce. He observes for a night or two. He sees that some people are, you know, dealing drugs or drinking on the job. And he has a team meeting with everybody when he's ready. And he fires a few people and he kind of sets the precedent there as the leader. And then when he's talking to the group of bouncers, he has this great conversation with them. And one of the things that he says is, look, all you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. And of course, the guys say, well, how do we know when it's, and he says, you know, and then of course, he says, be nice. And he says, I know uh, until it's time not to be nice. And the guys say, well, how do we know when it's time not to be nice? And he says, I'll let you know. So he's definitely taking the leadership role, right? The buck stops with him. Yes. But what's really cool about this is that we learn that simplicity rules. And that has a double meaning there. One, simple rules, and then two, simplicity rules, like simple things rule. Like it's, yes. it's cool to do things in a simple way. Yes. People a simple way to do things. I, I ask people, how many times in life have you taken something that was really simple and made it complex? Unnecessarily. Yeah, that's called yeah. large corporations and bureaucracy. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right. We talk about like the big, the bit that they talk about, like the big tanker ship that you got to turn when you talk about corporations and bureaucracy. And yes. I think about me complicating math in high school. Like I made math much more complicated than it should have been because as soon as they put numbers with letters, they lost me. 
two <laughs> like, X plus Y equals 12. I'm like, how did, why is the alphabet involved with numbers? I don't understand. I got really confused. I needed the magnets, which were like, you know, the apple, the one apple and then the two apples. And here's a sub, here's a, here's a subset, an empty set, and then a set of zero. And which one is which? And I'm like, oh, I can answer that. The set of zero is the one with the zero in it. They're like, very good. Yes, I know this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, back to the simplicity rules thing. Yeah. So if we go back to those rules that he was talking about, simple rules, keeping things simple in work and in life, by the way, in life, we tend to make things, our relationships more complex unnecessarily, uh, particularly family dynamics can become very complex when they, they should be very simple. And uh, we talk about these three rules. So let's break them down really quick. One, one, never underestimate your opponent, expect the unexpected. Now, there's a story that I tell about never underestimating your opponent. We're going to have to go back to 1990, okay, not 1980s, but a guy who, um, if we put aside his personal life, um, in his professional life, he was an icon in the 80s, and that was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson in 1990 was the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. There were professional boxers who were terrified to get into the ring with him. He, I think at the time he had 13 knockouts in less than 90 seconds. It was just, the bell would ring and you would see these guys who were, you know, the best of the best in the world who could knock anybody out, terrified to go across the ring. So in 1990, he fights Buster Douglas and Buster Douglas is a journeyman. Nobody expects this guy to win. The odds are way against him. And uh, so much so that the difference between Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas really is real simple terms because I love dogs. Mike Tyson had a pit bull named Duran after his favorite fighter, Roberto Duran. Okay. And Buster Douglas had a beagle. And I believe his name was either, Sha- I get it always, always get it confused. It was either Shakespeare or Romeo. And the reason was because Shakespeare was his favorite author. So just that alone tells you the difference between the two guys. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what happened? Buster Douglas won. He shocked the world and he won. He knocks Mike Tyson out. And if you go on YouTube and you watch the knockout, Mike Tyson is putting his mouthpiece backwards. He was legitimately knocked out. And we saw that Tyson underestimated his opponent. At the very beginning, Buster Douglas runs across the ring and confronts him. And Tyson was shocked. Like, whoa, Mm. this guy's not afraid of me. We also hear the story of Mike Tyson supposedly being out very late at like four in the morning with Bobby Brown in Tokyo partying. And Bobby Brown's like, hey, man, you got to fight tomorrow night. He says, I can sleep for five minutes and beat this guy. Underestimate your opponent. Yes. Right? Lack of preparation. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and big corporations can do this. You know, Bill Gates went right into Xerox. They opened it. I'm sorry, Xerox, IBM. They opened the doors for him. And what happened? Microsoft became Microsoft. IBM is doing great now, but they almost went out, you know, almost went out of business. That's right. Um, after Bill Gates went in there. So number two was uh, the, the idea of never, you know, start anything inside the bar, take it outside. In the corporate world, right? We have times we have to have tough conversations with people on our team as leaders. Always take that outside. What I mean by outside is take it inside an office with a closed door. Don't ever have those tough conversations in front of everybody else. There's no reason to do that. That's right. Just belittling somebody. You think that that might be might be like you know creating respect for you. It does the complete opposite. You lose respect. You lose credibility. And and you're belittling and disrespecting somebody else. It's completely unnecessary. Always take those tough conversations away from, as he said, outside the bar, take it outside the bar. And then three, be nice. It takes no energy to be nice. It takes a lot more energy to to not be nice. That's right. Uh, And then there are times where, as he says, where it's time until it's time not to be nice. And if we're competitive people and we have competitors, of course, there are times where, 
you know, you get into a competitive battle with, with uh, one of your competitors and you don't have to be mean, of course, but there's the idea of, you know, not being nice. Hey, listen, this is a competition and we're going to find a way to win. So, yes. Oh, yeah. so many good things. So many good things. And I love the idea of leadership as being a cooler because we need people well-equipped to de-escalate situations when they get tense. I just, that is a very valuable leadership skill. So tell us yeah. about the second one. What's the and second bring one? The, experience. the coolers bring the experience as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. But don't forget too, in all of this, that it's simple things, right? When you, when you have simple, when you have simple rules or simple ideas for people, it's then things don't get complex and it makes it much easier for everybody to work. Together. Yes. So. Yeah. The second one is, uh, this is a great movie, uh, probably one that a lot of people may not have seen. Um, sports movie from 1985 starring Matthew Modine, Alinda Fiorentino. I always have trouble with her last name. And uh, it's Vision Quest. Okay. Great movie. Great wrestling movie. Um, great sports movie. Great kind of life movie about a kid, Loudon Swain. Great name, by the way. Loudon. Loudon If I ever had a boy, I would have named him Loudon. I never had kids. <laughs> but if I did, Loudon would have been for sure. Um, Loudon Swain. So Loudon is an 18 year old kid who says, I've never really done anything in my life. He's 18. He's already thinking he's never done anything. And he's going to do something for the first time in his life. Yes. And so he decides he's going to wrestle shoot. He's going to lose weight. He's going to drop weight as they say, drop weight and wrestle shoot. Who is an all time state champions, never lost. And he says, this is going to be my year and I'm going to do this. Okay. And by the way, in the movie, just because if you want a reason to watch the movie beyond just the fact it's a great sports movie, uh, for those of you that love yourself, some Jake Ryan, uh, <laughs> Jake Ryan, Michael Shoffley plays his best friend, Cooch. And so you get one more bite at the apple with uh, Jake Ryan before he went off and started his custom woodworking company. And um, yeah, it's a true story. That's what he does. It's awesome. And Good then for Forrest Whitaker is in it as well in a small role. Um, we all know Forrest Whitaker today. And Madonna is a bar singer singing crazy for you in one scene in the movie. There you go. So there that was a reason to go watch it. Star studded, star studded, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A lot of little Easter eggs and great soundtrack. Incredible soundtrack. Okay. So Loudon decides he's going to wrestle shoot. He drops the weight. And at the night of the wrestling match, he's really nervous. And he goes to an apartment. The apartment the guy, the guy, this guy who lives there, his name is Elmo. Now, Elmo is a short order cook in the hotel where Loudon does uh, room service. And, and Elmo has become a, a bit of a mentor for him. And they, they come very close. And he knocks on his apartment door, not expecting him to be there. He's supposed to be at work. And Elmo opens the door and he says, Loudon says, what, what are you doing here? And he's, and, and Elmo's kind of getting dressed up. He's clean shaven. And he says, what are you doing? Are you supposed to be at work? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to re- see you wrestle, dummy. And Loudon says, well, I mean, shouldn't you be at work? Like you're losing money, you know, you, you got to like pay your bills and stuff. And he says, son, he tells him basically like there's more important things in life than money. And he goes into this great monologue again, YouTube, go to YouTube, look up the Elmo Vision Quest monologue, incredible okay. monologue. I'm going to shorten it for you. He says he's watching television. He's watching Pele, another phenomenal global icon with one name, you know, Pele, Prince, Madonna, on and on. <laughs> Pele, right? Pele, this great soccer player. And he says he's watching Pele and he does this amazing kick and he scores a goal. And all the people in the stands are going crazy. They're on their, they're on their feet. They're cheering. They're clapping. And he said, I, I'm sitting in front of the TV and I find myself crying. And he says, I'm crying because somebody of the same human race as me could do something so amazing and so fantastic and so incredible. 
And he starts talking aloud about his wrestling match. And if you know wrestling, it's three two-minute periods. And so there's six minutes in a wrestling match. And he says aloud, it ain't the six minutes. It's what you do in those six minutes. And I thought that was a really important, when I, when I heard that, I started thinking about the six minutes of life. You know, if you think about life being six minutes, not everybody's given that six minutes. Some get one minute, some get two minutes. Some of us are lucky and get all six minutes. But if we take that and we say, that's life, that's six minutes. You can either mark the time or you can make your mark. And marking the time, we do mark the time with birthdays and anniversaries. This is important, of course. Hmm. But if we're just marking the time, are you really, where are you making your mark with your life? And making your mark doesn't mean that you have to be known by one name globally, like we just talked about, Madonna, Pele, Prince. You don't have to be known globally by one name. Making your mark could be what you do for your family, what you do in your community, uh, what you do in your industry or your organization. Mm-hmm. Because that mark that you make is going to be your legacy. And we're all going to mark our time in different ways. We all do yes. it, right? There's important, there's important milestones in our life, and we mark our time with those. But you also need to remember to make your mark. Because marking the time, the birthdays, the anniversaries, that, those things are not going to ultimately be your legacy. It's going to be how you make your mark. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love the distinction. And I think for a lot of folks... they need to remember that. And that's why, frankly, in coaching, like we always start with the end in the end in mind reflection, which is what kind of legacy do you want to leave? What are your values? How do you want to be remembered? And it's not about being remembered on social media or TV or any of those things. It's not about being famous. It's about the people that loved you. Why did they love you? Why are they sad that you're gone? What will be different for your grandchildren? And your great grandchildren, because you existed and and you lived the life that you did. It's yeah, it's really important. Yeah, and it's you know, and for people like me that never had children, it's also about like what kind of legacy am I going to leave? And for me, it's animal rescue. You know, it's really important to me. Yeah, um, and that's a huge thing for me. Yeah, and that's how I'm going to leave my legacy. That's how I'm going to make my mark. Yeah, um, great so, point. Yeah, you can mark the time, make your mark. And an 18 year old wrestler, Loudon Swain. Uh, along with a short order cook, Elmo taught us that. I love it. I love it so much. All right. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to come back and talk more about how you are making your mark and what you learned from really finding the thing that you were made to do to help our fellow Gen Xers understand what does it take to reinvent yourself for a second or third career? How, How do you do that? How do you begin thinking about it? Uh, especially as we begin to hopefully kind of exit the pandemic. (laughs) We will see in whatever the next version of that is. All right, we'll be right back. While we're taking a break from this episode's hot mess, I want to talk about one of the hot messes that I know you have, and that's your meetings. Friends, one of the biggest complaints that we have in our businesses is either about the amount of meetings how long they are, how worthless they are. And my perspective is that your meetings are your most expensive use of your team's time. That means they also need to be the most valuable use of your team's time. And instead, right now, too many of your meetings are spent with just status updates where they could have been an email or the mansplainer that talks and says a 
that talks a lot, but doesn't say anything. Or the person who shows up and says, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get this done. I'm sorry I didn't get this done. So then why are you meeting? So instead of leaving your next meeting feeling deflated, like Eeyore, I want you to feel like Bruce Lee and kick in some major ass. So that's why I've created this tool for you. It's called Lead Kick-Ass Meetings, and you can get it at stephaniecrevins.com forward slash lead kick-ass meetings. Get it? And it is full of templates, agendas, and icebreakers that you can use. Just copy and paste, plug and play, so that your meetings become an investable use of time for you and your team and your company. I chose these three areas for your meeting specifically because they're usually the tools that are most likely to go off the rails for any leader. And you need something that's plug and play. You, you, you know, most folks complain that an icebreaker is too cheesy. I've got icebreakers for you that are worthwhile and create connection. Most folks complain that an agenda either doesn't exist or it's so vague you have no idea what you're talking about. I've got agendas for you that are useful from the get-go. And I've got some templates and tools and processes that you can use. Again, just send it out to your team to make the meeting as valuable as possible. All right, my friend, that's what I have for you. I want your next meeting to be worth a million dollars, right? Um, it's costing your company a lot of time and money. It's costing you a lot of frustration. Lead kick-ass meetings. Go over to the landing page. It's just stephaniecrevins.com forward slash lead kick-ass meetings. Put in your email. You'll get that tool delivered right to your inbox. And you're going to be a meeting hero as soon as you put those into practice. All right. Now let's get back to this episode's hot mess. Let's... um. Let's turn the focus and talk about you, Mr. Chris Clues, as a human being, now an author, a multiple book author and speaker and, and cheerleader of the 80s and the Gen X experience yeah. and all the wonderful lessons that it taught us. You didn't start your career out this way. You made a significant pivot. Talk to us about... And we'll reference the last episode because I remember in our last conversation, you talked a little bit about it and you were kind of in that sucky place on a mental health day and like, like the lightning bolt struck you about what you could do with yeah. your love of the Gen Xerness. Um, Gen Xerness, sorry, that's not a word. That's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, right. But, you know, walk us through what reinventing yourself meant for you when you went out on your own and remind us the timeline. And then what does it mean for you now? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And by the way, whenever I hear the word pivot, all I can think about is Ross and friends. <laughs> <laughs> pivot, pivot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, as good. soon as you said the word pivot, I could see them on the stairs and yeah. <laughs> very funny. Um, I wish, I wish the eighties could claim friends, but anyway, I know, right? uh, yeah. So yes, I was um, definitely, you know, as I say, Henry David Thoreau said the mass of men will call it the mass of people. Um, the mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. And I yes. was certainly leading my life of quiet desperation. I was like this guy here on my shirt. If you can see him, Cameron. Oh, yeah, Cameron. In, oh Cameron. <laughs> Cameron. I was in my Egypt's land, you know, let my Cameron go. And uh, <laughs> I was like just feeling that, you know, like, what, I, I mean, certainly I was happy with my career. I, I felt proud of how I had built it, but I did feel like there was something else out there for me. 
And we yes. talked about this in the first episode, watching The Breakfast Club, hearing Bender say screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And having that make me jump up and think, wow, I'm in an imperfect place. How am I going to fix it? Yes. You know, there's different ways I could put the screws back in the same way and just keep on going and be in that quiet desperation. Or I could get a whole new set of screws or a whole new set of screws and a whole new door and door frame and walk out to a new journey. And that's what I did. It was also influenced a little bit by the outsiders. You still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want, which was Absolutely. something Donnie Cade said. And I'm actually getting tattooed on the inside of my arm here in the next month. So um, well, send us a so, picture. Send us a picture. It's so important to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really important to me. Um, That idea of you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And I think that's a really important quote for everybody who's listening, particularly us in the Gen X uh, generation, or what did you call us? Gen Xerness. Gen Xerness. (laughs) Yeah. The Gen Xerness. Yes. Yes. That includes those in the physical Gen X generation and those with the mindset of the Gen Xer. So, which is a lot. There you go. Yes, a lot of people. More and more. Thank God. Which is total awesomeness. And so, Yes. So I, I, I feel like um, the it's really important because we're often we see these stories of and we hear, you know, we see the 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 and all these lists. Right. And you do see social posts where people will say, I'd like to see a list of, you know, people over 50 doing their thing or whatever. Yes. And I think that's really important that people are talking about that now because it's not we get this experience and I kind of. um Okay, so I'm going to go a little bit into relationships here, even though I'm really bad at them. Okay, so let's just level set here. Um, Do not take any relationship advice from Chris Clues ever, right? Just don't. But having said that, I did have a lot of friends in their 20s who did the thing and got married. And uh, and then by their mid-30s, they were divorced. Yes. And some of them remarried right away. And then they were divorced again by their early to mid-40s. Others waited. And then they met somebody and, you know, they're, they're, where they're 40 years old, early forties, met somebody, and they're probably in the best relationship of their life. As far as I can see from the outside as being a friend. And I think part of that was because you grow and you change and, you know, who you are, who I dated when I was 25, is very different from who I dated at 35 and now at 51. Again, listen, I'm really bad at relationships. This is not this is not uh, dating advice at all, but I'm trying to relate. I'm trying to, you know, compare this to when we talk about the idea of, of you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. These lists of under thirties, under forties. I don't, I feel like most of us really hit our stride in our early to mid forties is when we really understand who we are. Yes. Um, and we have that experience to back it up. And that's where I was. I was, you know, 40, 45, 46, when I really started thinking about this and implementing it. And then my first book publishing when I was, you know, 48, uh, for, no, 40, sorry, 47. I was 47 and I'm 51 now. And it's just been four years and everything that's happened with for me in, in my personal life and in my career has been amazing in terms of what this 80s pop culture thing has done for me. Because it's it your thing. Late. It's your jam. Yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't call it late. It happened when it was meant to happen. I mean, that's yeah. that's all there is to it. I remember the pressure that I created for myself in college because I I wanted the things. I wanted to graduate college, then have my dream career start, you know, the next month, and then have my wedding to the man I was supposed to be with for the rest of my life happen the month after that. And mm-hmm. then kids at 20, well, I never I never physically wanted to have kids, but then the thing, and then the thing that you're supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, it's just, 
it's laughable now thinking about what I, the pressure I created for myself and those around me to make all of that happen. Those poor guys I dated in my twenties. I'm like, let's let this be the public shout out of, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then yeah. finding the man that I am meant to be with in my late twenties, when I had a better sense of who, who I am and who I was to become, not only that, but he could also evolve with me and I could evolve with him. I mean, we all have our different paths, but oh, yeah. And on my journey to starting the business that I did, I had a moment that was like the ugly cry of all ugly cries in my, like, I think I was my early thirties of I'm not anything yet. And I don't make the money. and I don't have the title. And my husband just looking at me like an alien, like an alien, like, what? what do you think was supposed to happen by now? Yeah. I was like, I don't know, but all these people are so successful. No one knows what they're doing. And it's, That's right. yeah, it's, it really is interesting. The pressure we create on ourselves to do all the right things when all of the right things or the normal things probably are not for you. One, because normal is boring, but two, you've got to let life unfold so you can figure out who you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very grateful that the universe has brought me the things that I was meant to have in the timing and that I allowed it. And, you know, like my husband and I, we're in the adoption process now. I'm 41. Awesome. Yeah. I will be in my early 40s with a toddler. Like, sweet, let's see what happens. Like, I'm just now equipped for true parenting in adulthood. Like, that's all okay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, listen, that's that's fantastic. And by the way, the fact that you're 41 and you're like this huge 80s person, you were born in 1980. I was born in 1970, right? I'm supposed yes. to be an 80s person. Yeah. So this yeah, is yeah. what makes this is what's great about 80s pop culture is that they're, you know, we've talked about this before. It's just, it really it crosses so many generations. And I when I speak, when I'm at speaking gigs and I'm I, I come off stage, a lot of times the people that come up to me are in their 20s. And oh, really? they've said they've seen half of the movies I talked about. They didn't see the other ones, but now they're gonna go watch them. Yeah. And that's really awesome. It's really fascinating for me, but it's really awesome. And it tells, tells the story of, of how much 80s pop culture, what it means to so many people. Oh, absolutely. Um, and all the great stories. So, yeah. And I, well, I, I think you're, you, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, well, in my secret, like the reason I'm so grateful for that 80s experience, you know, I'm a six year old hanging out with my aunt who was 16, listening to vinyl, you know, Bon Jovi on vinyl on one of those cabinets where you stored the records on one side. And you oh, played yeah. the record on the other side. Like those are my memories. Cause I grew up very poor in Indiana. Like I did not, I had a very Gen X experience. I was the latchkey kid from divorced parents. Like mm-hmm. being in rural Indiana, I had the 1980s like education system. It was, I had those full experiences plus other layers that aren't ready for public consumption yet um, regarding my childhood. But yeah. it's, that that was my childhood. I was very lucky to have those aunts and those babysitters that were quintessential eighties that set the tone for my childhood that, yeah, those are the things that I remember. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. And, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about with the idea of, you know, reinventing yourself or evolving. Mm -hmm. And there's this, you know, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And I say, like, if you look, we all have really limited free time. And what we do with that free time is important to all of us. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, if you find yourself either doing or thinking about the same thing, whatever it is, during your free time that you have over and over and over again, you find yourself thinking about it or doing it. 
I always tell people, well, go create you. Find a way to take whatever it is that you're passionate about and see if you can actually make a living at it. You know, you can do that while you have your full-time gig. That's how I did it. I mean, it, it takes a little bit of work and it, it takes a little bit of sacrifice in terms of the time and the things that you have to say, I'm not going to do this today. I'm going to do, you know, the thing that I'm really passionate about and see if I can make That's this right. work. And there's no guarantees that anybody's going to care about what you put out there. You just have to decide that you're going to do it. And, um, and, and, you know, and then you push forward and that's a really, I think for me, that's something where I say like, you just, that time that we have that free time is so valuable. And if it is, you know, if it is being captured by the same thing, should go try to do something with it. There's a great movie cocktail. Um, another (laughs) underrated one from the eighties. Another great one. Yeah. Fantastic. Tom Cruise, Elizabeth Shue. And, and to our conversation here, they're sitting at a table and they're talking about he's, she's asked saying, Hey, we should go on this boat ride. There's a boat going by. And he's looking at this drink umbrella and he starts telling the story of the drink umbrella. And he's saying, there's, there's this person, this guy who, you know, gets up every morning and goes to this, his factory and they make these drink umbrellas and he's a millionaire. And then they start picking up all kinds of things around the table, ashtray, millionaire, toothpick, millionaire. And even he puts his shoe up on the table and she looks at the little plastic end of the piece of the shoelace and says, you know, millionaire. And they don't know what the name is. They call it a flugelbinder. So like, yeah, it's a flu. She says, oh, I think it's like a flugel binder. And the whole moral of this is that he says, you know, here we sit surrounded by millionaires and we're, you know, looking for our flugel binder, basically. And he says he took this bartending job that he thought would be, and it's, I think it's the first reference to a side hustle in a movie because he says that he took the bartending job at night so they could leave his days free for his real passion. Yes. What was going to make it work, what he was going to make work. And the nights got longer and the days got shorter. And before you know it, he's like, I'm, I, I'm still doing the bartending thing. And I've never really gotten to my flugelbinder. And she says, you know, your flugelbinder is out there. You'll find it. You know, she's really super encouraging. This great, great character. Elizabeth Shue's character is fantastic character. And um, anyway, the whole idea here of the flugelbinder and that your flugelbinder is out there. And um, if you find yourself thinking about that flugelbinder all the time, maybe yes. try to do something with it. Yes. Oh, I love that. And that's, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book called Big Magic, and she talks about how she really made it with Eat, Pray, Love. And forgive Mm -hmm. me if that was like the late 2000s. I forget when that came out and I read it and it really helped, helped me pivot and transform into redirecting my energy into some of the things that I wanted to eat, pray and love on. But she talks about how in her twenties, she was a waitress, but she was a yeah. writer. Like she made her money waitressing, but her identity was as a writer. And we can all have versions of that in our life. Whatever the thing is that you love and that you want to be, be that how you make your money can be irrelevant. And for some people, how you make your money is your identity, but until you get there, allow your identity to be the thing that you want it to be. It's all okay. It's yeah. all okay. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. But what's frustrating is for people who are true, still trying to find their flugel, flugel binder. Flugel yeah. Flugel yeah, yeah. Flugel binder. They're yeah. listening to this like, well, gosh, you guys already found it. Like lucky for you. I'm there and I'm still there every damn day because I put in the work to make it happen. Not because it just came to me. And I know the same is true for you. Yeah. You have to be ready and prepared to say the the free time that I, that I had is now going to be taken from taken by this thing that I'm going to do. And you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, 
some people are and some people aren't. And that's perfectly fine, right? Yes. We're, we all have different journeys. But you know, if you do have something that you think you you love and you want to make something of it, you know, this is the time to do it. In 2022, the technology's there, the ability's there. It's for you to actually go out there and, and go for it. Yes, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I mean, the other thing is, remember, like, no matter what your idea is, it doesn't really matter that, you know, there's an audience for everything. As Andrew said in The Breakfast Club, we're all a little bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it. That's all. That's right. True statement. Yeah. And my last life life um, tip before we we let you get on, get back to your changing your part of the world over there. You know, I have taken everything off of my phone that is scrollable because my brain was getting in the loops. So that's YouTube, Pinterest, email. I mean, any piece of technology that is scrollable, I just disabled it on my phone because I found myself saying, oh, I don't have time to cook anymore. And I don't have time to do my crafts, which are my fun things that I do outside of work. I don't have time to fill in the blank. Yet when I, when the app study was telling me how much time I spent on certain apps, it was adding up to some significant time every day. And so I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like I'm sick of my own bullshit, turn it off. And I did. And so friends, like if you find yourself binging on anything, scrolling on anything, it's not true relaxation. You're the things that light you up inside that give you creativity. Those are the things that will help you relax. and maybe lead to something bigger or better or your Flugensheimer thingy. <laughs> Flugelbinder. <laughs> Flugelbinder. Flugelbinder, yeah. Yes. Anyway. All right. Man, we have had such a great conversation, Chris. Oh yeah. my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing this. We cannot wait till your book comes out again. You said the timing was August, September. We need to get folks over to your website, engage with you. And I'll put links in that in the chat so that they can learn more about you so they can get that book when it comes out. So they can bring even more of these Gen X lessons home so they can bring more of themselves to life. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you next time. Thank you so much. Stay rad, everybody. Ooh, friend, isn't it always so fun to revisit pieces of our childhood that brought us joy? I cannot tell you how happy that cabinet with the record player on one side and the vinyl records on the other side just made me so happy as a childhood. And still even seeing all those vinyl records in a store or somebody's house just brings me a little bit of fun and happiness and whimsy that accompanied my childhood. And the singing at the top of my lungs, living on a prayer, right? Like, I mean, that's the good stuff of childhood, right? The only, I used to have a record player, full disclosure, and I had to get rid of it because when I dance around the house, I jump up and down a lot. And so I would make the record player skip. And so I thought maybe this isn't the best way for me to listen to music because I'm popping that needle everywhere. And so I kind of updated a more digital technology because my dance style and record players didn't all go together. So let me reflect for you, you know, the the 20% of the content from our conversation with Chris that is really going to stick with me and have 80% of the impact moving forward. And wherever you're listening in, I want to hear your reflections as well. Put those in the comments for us. us, share those with us so that we can learn from you too. 
So a few things really stand out from those stories. One, just revisiting uh, my love of Patrick Swayze. What an amazing human being. But here's what stood out for, for me, for the stories that Chris brought up for us. You know, the character, Patrick Swayze's character in Roadhouse as the cooler we need more of those in our workplace. Um, you know, the person that can cool things down, can de-escalate a situation, can help people stay kind and nice when things get tough and then not be nice when it's not called for. But the reality is, is niceness can be overplayed in our workplace and not serve you. And so know when it's time to, to turn up the notch a little bit and be more assertive and maybe even cross that line into aggressive when you absolutely have to and find that balance for yourself, my friends. The other lesson that really stood out for me is around marking your life with the things that really matter to you, that lesson from the vision quest and making sure that you're spending time in a way that adds up to the legacy that you want to leave for this planet, that you're spending time in a way that helps people remember you in the way that you want to be remembered and not, not just necessarily remembered in 40, 50 years when your body is no longer alive on this planet, but how you're remembered tomorrow and next week and the week after that and making it more likely that people want to approach you um, as a leader who can get things done and do it in a meaningful and impactful way. The other message that I hope you take away from these stories too is remembering the value of starting small and appreciating these small steps and how they add up to the large steps, right? In Vision Quest, we had Madonna, we had Forrest Whitaker who went on who went on and have went on to much bigger, bigger fame, but those small steps opened the next door and that door opened the next door and that door opened the next door. Please don't ever take these small wins for granted because in the long run, they add up to something significant. And the same is true for Chris's story, right? Like the, the little, the little niggling that he got on one of his mental health days to start this thing around eighties pop culture, was just a small, still voice while he was laying on his couch, kind of moping about his life. Even though everything seemed fine, it wasn't what he wanted. He started small. He started with LinkedIn articles. He started with blog posts, which then grew into a book, which is grew into a second book, which is now on its third book. So if anything, my friend, please appreciate those small steps that you take every single day to that really big goal. Even if you don't know what that big goal is yet, those things do add up. I know I believe that in my heart of hearts and I've seen that to be true in my own life. All right, that's what I got for you. Again, I would love to hear your story. And if you got value from this, would you share this wherever you're watching or listening in with another troublemaker, another ambitious learner who is a leader who needs support too? One, it would be an honor if you shared it to help us find more pro troublemakers in this world. And two, if you got value from it and it adds insight into your life, chances are it will for your friends and peers as well. All right, now let's get off this kind of media. Let's get back to the work that really creates an impact, adds up to your legacy, and I'll see you next time, my friends. <music>